Ladies and gentlemen, 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 gentlemen you are now, 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 now listening to two, 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 the P13 Podcast. Yeah. Welcome back to the P13 podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. That I'm excited. That beautiful voice in your headphones. Podcast is, day is always a good day. Oh yeah. We may have said that before, but we'll say it again. Every day is an is an enjoyment or every day is a blessing. This is true. Not only for the pod, but in life. For all of us. Oh yeah. Um, those beautiful vibrations in your headphones are the one and only Mr. Thomas Conway. Hello. I am your host, Michael Calliff, and we're here to bring you another podcast. We're back. Back like the Avengers getting Infinity Stones, like John Cusack <laughs> in Hot Tub Time Machine, or like Doc in Back to the Future. We're back. Love Doc. <laughs> Love Doc. Love Question myself. his sanity, but, you know, his heart's in the right place. His heart is in the right place. But unlike Back to the Future, we have a special guest who has an actual doctorate, has her PhD. Yes. Something in something useful also. Although time travel, if you had a PhD in time travel, that'd be pretty epic. It would be. This is a whole nother conversation. Um, like you could use that useful to get some lottery numbers and get rich, right? Uh, yeah, but then you'd mess up the time continuum. You but can't that's, do that. I know. We, maybe we wouldn't be here today if that had happened this is true um but that's again that's another discussion getting back onto the topic of our guest today as i said she has her doctorate in nutritional physiology from the university of utah she's a jiu-jitsu world champion she is the chief product officer at gnarly nutrition and has generously taken the time out of her busy schedule to bless you all with her knowledge to maximize your training efforts it's the one and only dr shannon o'grady hello shannon I appreciate the clap. It's yes. great to be here with you guys. Thank you for having me. Thank, thank you for you. taking the yeah, time. Thank you. Welcome in. Welcome in. Welcome to the P13 podcast. Yeah. Very exciting. Always exciting on guest day. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, usually with the guests, we give a little background too of how I know them. So I met Shannon. Boy, how long ago was that? That was 2017, right? 2017, 2018. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean that seems that timing seems about right. Yeah. Um, so that. yeah, we uh, I had attended a Jim Jones seminar in Salt Lake City, and Shannon happened to be at that seminar as an attendee as well. Um, and uh, yeah, and so that's where Shannon and I met. Uh, it was very very uh, fun hanging out with her, and then also learning a little bit about what she does and a little bit about her nutrition knowledge. Um, it was very cool to to hear about that. And then also watching her train in a gym or in the gym was inspiring. She is a beast in the gym. It had to have been epic. It's no wonder why she's a jiu-jitsu world champion because she could she can throw some weights. That's badass, uh, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and I think that's also very important to, to mention because in my experience, um, you know, in the nutrition world, you can oftentimes find nutritionists that you know, no doubt they have a lot of knowledge and, and, uh, and things like that on the topic of nutrition, but actually applying it to themselves. Uh, I mean, I think most of them do, but applying, applying it to themselves while also trying to push their body to mm -hmm. the limits, I think is something that you don't often see in the world of nutrition and dietetics. Um, and so that's another reason why I'm very drawn to, to Shannon and 
really listen to what she says and um and think that it's very credible because she lives it yeah. uh, every single day i would even add to that it's like very relatable because you know kind of the stresses of going through a workout and going not even just like even jujitsu and all these other recreation or not even recreation. This is like, I see, this is where we can like take it back and make edits on this podcast. But I told you he messes up. I do mess up. We might leave that one. We, this might be left in there, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? You can apply all, all the knowledge that you're are going to provide to us today. It's it, you have lived it yourself too. And it makes it very relatable for someone who's like myself, who doesn't have a strong nutritional background or has a lot of the education in it. And I can, I'm more drawn to something like that where you've, you've lived it. You know how to understand it. You know how to apply it. Um, but yeah, just piggybacking off of what you said earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah so why don't my we... knowledge is pretty selfish. Um, I, you know, and that's because I started getting into sports nutrition and the idea of kind of fueling and, and performance and recovery nutrition because I was interested in it as a, you know, through the sports that I did and the sports that I participated mm -hmm. in. Um, kind of that combination of, of food, fueling, performance, recovery, and how it intersects with sports. Um, yeah, that's my passion. It's what I love. So um, yeah. it's fun to learn about it. That's awesome. And those are often the best practitioners, the ones that kind of get into it because of a self-interest, mm -hmm. um, from a self-interest perspective. So why don't you touch a little bit more on your physical, I guess we could say like uh, your physical activity or training history <laughs> because like just before we got on the podcast you had mentioned um and this is something i didn't really know i guess that you were the you were more on the endurance side so you have a pretty wide breadth of experience from a physical training perspective so why don't you kind of go through a brief history of of shannon o'grady's physical training <laughs> exposures sure i mean i always say i have sad sports attention deficit disorder. Um, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> just because I've jumped from one thing to the next, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm pretty settled in, in to a jujitsu obsession now, but I, yeah. uh, I was always a runner ran in high school and started running marathons, got into kind of more endurance racing as I got into trail running. Cause I just liked how trail running felt live in Utah, access to trails that you could run on for miles and miles, hours and hours is at your doorstep. And so exploring the mountains and getting outside, trail running was a great way to do that. And so started running longer, met some people training for triathlons, um, started swimming with a master's team and found myself, you know, doing half Ironman and then eventually an Ironman. Um, then kind of got back into ultra running, ultra mountain biking, and did a bunch of that. Through all of that, that period was when sports nutrition really became an interest to me. I was in graduate school. My doctorate is in biology, but my thesis focused on nutritional physiology, not sports performance. I think had I uh, found that love of, of endurance prior to getting into graduate school, that might have been more of my focus, but it was it was kind of more looking at herbivory and um, carnivory and animals and looking at adaptations to one diet or the next, and then mm. did some postdoc follow-up work in more in human nutrition, but just really loved learning about it. And for me, reading research and, and getting really familiar with the research that's been done 
is learning about it and then applying it to my own pursuits, did a little bit of coaching, applying it to the athletes that I worked with and, and their journeys kind of in the endurance world. That was kind of where, where I found my passion and what I love to do. Yeah. Wow. That's so, very fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I've, I ran, I've actually found gnarly nutrition through a, a, a friend that the company I work with through a friend that um, was an athlete for them also found Jim Jones that way. And it was actually through Jim Jones that um, I found jujitsu. So Lisa uh, Bouchard, one of the owners had recommended literally within five minutes of meeting me. I'm not sure if it's a good thing or what it says about my personality. (laughs) She could tell you were scrappy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But she was like, yeah, you should, you should try jujitsu. Like one of the best gyms was right down the, the street from my office. And it's pretty much love at at first choke. So uh, I was, uh, I was, was training it you for... getting choked or you choking? <laughs> well, you learn quickly in jujitsu. It's a, it's always both. Um, yep. But uh, it's humbling and empowering at the same time. It's crazy. It's part of the reason I love it. But you know, I, st- I still run. I still climb. My family. We we spend a lot of time in the mountains. We do a lot of rock climbing as well. And still ride my bike, but jujitsu is my passion. And that's kind of where I really um, look to challenge myself and set goals. Mm -hmm. So you probably at a certain, well, I mean, when I was, when I was with you at the the Jim Jones seminar, it had seemed like you had come out of the endurance phase of your training. Cause at that point you were lifting some heavy weight. Um, So was that a challenge to make that shift from endurance to strength training and are you still is strength training still a big focus of yours as you also train jujitsu yeah um i had never done much strength training early on in my i hesitate to say endurance career because it makes it Mm -hmm. sound like it was a profession but um (laughs) endurance experience i wish i had because i think it's incredibly important for injury prevention and for longevity but I didn't find strength training until kind of the tail end of that. And, and I did do more strength training kind of when, you know, right as that was ending, like my last race was like a 50 mile trail race. And, and I was doing some strength training during that. And I saw the improvements felt better during the race, felt stronger, had, had, had fewer injuries during the training to get ready for that race. Um, but then as I started getting into jujitsu where power um, is really a big part. I mean, technique is a big part of what you do with jujitsu as well, but power and strength can be helpful. Also. Um, I started doing more strength training regularly um, and following programs that would, would really uh, align well with kind of jujitsu as a sport. And I still do it today. Um, I train at a gym in Salt Lake called uh, Stout Strength and Conditioning with Ann Kestevens, who you may also know from Jim Jones, Thomas, and she does a lot of kettlebell work, but we also do just a lot of functional fitness. She's kind of of the quality over quantity mindset, and that aligns really well with me as a you know 43-year-old woman who still needs to be able to do jujitsu, not be so sore that I can't you know do my primary sport of interest. So I feel like yeah. it complements um, what I do with jujitsu really well without, you know, overpowering it. Yep. And that's very important. I would have not guessed that you were 43. You look (laughs) 25, Shannon. 
Agreed. Man, I great. knew I liked you. I knew I both of you. Thank you for having me. I'm here. But uh, you talked about how you got into to gnarly nutrition, and it kind of brings up the topic of our discussion today, which we get asked a lot about is is terms of like supplements. And one of the more specific ones that we do get asked a lot about is, is creatine. Am I right? Yes. So that's what we'll be covering today. And why creatine? Uh, a couple good points here. Like Kala said, we get asked it a lot. Also, creatine, and you can confirm this, uh, Shannon, it from what I have heard, it's one of the most studied ergogenic aids on the market. And uh, given it's how long it's been around and applied to sport and things like that. And then the other reason that this is important and that we want to provide this episode to our listeners is the supplement industry in general can be somewhat confusing for a lot of folks. And I'm sure you deal with this a lot at Gnarly and, and your team probably talks about like, how can we make things more approachable for consumers uh, so that those are kind of the big three reasons that we wanted to talk about creatine so we can go uh, really deep on this topic but we'll start with some basics so shannon why don't you tell us what creatine is sure um so creatine can be synthesized by our bodies or we can get it also from our diet it's made from a combination of three amino acids amino acids so glycine methionine and arginine it's made in the in a kind of two-part process in the liver and the kidneys we store it in our muscles and that kind of translates to where we get in our diet so we get it in our diet from meat when we consume you know meat or fish we're also getting creatine in our diets it's primarily stored in the muscles as phosphocreatine, which is basically just the creatine with a little inorganic phosphate attached to it. And that um, storage form is really important because that that's kind of the key to, to why it's so important and how it can be so helpful with exercise. So then following up to that, how does the body use creatine? Sure. Um, so it, it, there are kind of two... I mean, there's more and more research coming out every day. You're 100% correct. It, it is one of the best studied ergogenic aids. Um, but I think they're, they're realizing benefits um, that were not originally attributed to creatine through new research coming out. So, But it's most famous for, or I guess best known, for its ability to increase power production. And it does that by increasing ATP production. So we can, you know, we create energy in our muscles through a, a few different pathways. And the ones you guys may be more familiar with are, are things like aerobic and anaerobic glycolysis. Um, but our muscles to create energy in the really short term, we have very little stored ATP in our muscles. The next kind of pathway that we look to use to create energy quickly is the creatine phosphagen pathway. And that stored phosphocreatine, as I said, is the key. So um, an enzyme called creatine kinase basically breaks off that phosphate molecule. And when that occurs, energy is released. And that released energy is used to attach a phosphate molecule to adenosine diphosphate to create adenosine triphosphate. So you're taking an adenosine with two phosphate molecules and you're using that energy from the creatine phosphate to add another phosphate molecule onto ADP and make ATP. 
So it's a little confusing because there's a lot of words in there. But basically, (laughs) you're basically just... Yeah, exactly. You're basically just taking the energy from breaking off the phosphate from creatine and you're using that energy to add a phosphate to make ATP. And most people have, I'd say, you know, you can, there's a saturation to creatine stores, uh, meaning that like your, when I say saturated, your, your muscle stores of creatine can be full. A person Mm -hmm. eating a normal omnivorous diet is about 60 to 80% full of creatine. And that translates to maybe five to eight seconds of that power generation or ATP generation um, during work or, or exercise. Supplementation can can increase those stores or saturate them or, or put them full. And that would increase that time window from that five to eight seconds to potentially eight to 12 seconds. Um, mm varies by person person diet has a you know role or some research suggesting gender has a role um there are even creatine non-responders for which you know they're not going to respond to creatine supplementation but basically what you're doing is you're storing more energy in your muscles as phosphocreatine that will then be um, used to generate more atp which equals more power when you're when you're doing high intensity work does that make sense that does. That does. Follow up to that. So you, the way that you described it, they're not necessarily two different energy systems. Is that correct? The the p the phosphocreatine and the ATP. It's it's essentially just f- more phosphocreatine allows you to produce more ATP. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so more phosphocreatine, you can think about it as uh, more stored energy in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, Because within a phosphocreatine molecule, that energy is stored in that bond between the phosphate molecule and the creatine molecule. So if you have more higher phosphocreatine stores, you have higher stored energy that can then be released to create more ATP in that short window. Yep. So then to apply this to a specific bout of exercise. um, You took my question. Let's. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, you're good. <laughs> Our minds are synced. We're good. You know that movie? Uh, well, we won't get into it. We'll, we'll talk about. <laughs> well, later. we can talk more later. <laughs> it's the one where you like join in a giant robot. Oh, Pacific Rim. Pacific we'll Rim. We'll talk more about that later. The kaiju. Um, the kaiju. Yeah. Uh, so, um, applying it to a specific bout of exercise, we could probably use a few different examples. Mm-hmm. But say a max reps bench press at. 225 or something like that so if someone is lower on their creatine stores would it would it um maybe mean that they get let's say 10 reps and then if they if their creatine stores are more saturated as you said could they could that potentially take them to like 12 or 13 reps is that maybe a I think max reps, it would also be max weight for a single rep. They're generally in the range of, I think, 10 to 25%. Um, So, so, you know, that would be, if you're going from 10 to 12, that's your 20% right there. It's 20% increase. Um, So very likely. Um, It, as we said, it's going to depend on the person. Um, And other variables as well. Yeah. Yeah. So vegans and vegetarians, 
might see a greater impact because as we said, the mm-hmm. primary place where you get creatine in your diet is through meat. And so their kind of baseline stores of creatine might not be at that 60 to 80% saturation level or full level, it might be lower. And so supplementing with creatine would take them higher over their baseline. And thus they might see, they might be like a super responder. They might see a a greater increase than somebody that regularly incorporates meat and, and thus has high, a higher baseline store. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense. That does. That does. Um, So we're not hitting 13 because we are omnivores here. Uh, no, I I think we would be hitting already at 11. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Because we're omnivores, we're at 11 instead of six. Fair. That's the way to look at it. You know, that's one way to look at it. Yeah. Um, so then I guess looking at it from maybe a deficiency perspective, uh, why would it be important to have your creatine levels or not naturally high levels, but an adequate amount of creatine? regardless of whether you're supplementing or getting it from natural sources. So why is it beneficial to have creatine? And are there any significant downsides to being deficient in it? So I haven't necessarily heard of creatine deficiency. You definitely, as we age, we get, um, you know, less creatine kinase activity, which is that enzyme that, um, that actually facilitates that breaking off of the phosphate from the creatine. There's also um, decreases in in the activity of that enzyme for women in during different phases of their menstrual cycle. And so there are there's an importance of supplementing for reasons like that. In vegans and vegetarians, I'm not sure that I've ever seen the word deficiency and negative a negative connotation with that. We do endogenously so within our bodies, I'm not trying, I'm trying not to use too many big size words. (laughs) Um, We do synthesize, we are able to synthesize creatine from those three amino acids, glycine, methionine, um, and arginine. Um, And so as long as those amino acids are plentiful in our diet, which they would be in vegan and vegetarian uh, diets, then they should be able to synthesize appropriate amounts of creatine. What they're missing is that extra creatine that they would get from their diet. There are benefits above and beyond just what we've talked about already. Creatine can also act as a, as a buffer in your muscles. So, you know, we talked about those two other pathways, anaerobic and aerobic glycolysis. So anaerobic glycolysis is what we do when our bodies or what we use when our bodies cannot take in enough oxygen to meet our energy needs through aerobic glycolysis. So our body starts creating your ATP anaerobically. And as a byproduct of that, we produce hydrogen ions, which increase the acidity in our muscles, decrease the pH, increase the acidity. And that is what eventually can lead to muscular failure. And so by- burn, right? Yeah, that's the burn. Oh, yeah. 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 So by, by introducing a buffer, which basically- slows the rise in pH, we we decrease the acidity level and therefore increase endurance. So creatine is a is a natural buffering agent. So that's another benefit. And there's more and more research. We talked to earlier about like these new things that are, you know, scientists and researchers are discovering as far as benefits of creatine. There's research showing that it can be beneficial for 
uh, cognitive function. Research showing it can be extremely helpful with concussions or any kind of, um, there's not a lot of research. Yeah, brain trauma. trauma. There's research in rats showing, um, so not in humans yet, but showing that it, it, you know, might be a place of interest to look at as far as neurodegenerative diseases, things like uh, Parkinson's or Lou Gehrig's disease. So once again, nothing in humans yet but some some things that look pretty interesting in rats. So more and more studies showing all the potential benefits that uh, creatine can have, but not necessarily anything that I've seen showing clinical deficiencies in humans, unless you have some kind of uh, maybe genetic disorder that affects the function of that enzyme, you know, and Mm -hmm. then supplementation becomes necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, that that's uh, uh, this this episode is already blowing my mind. Yes, uh, I must just say. So this is great. Love it. All you listeners are going to love it too. So next, and we're going to touch more on some of those benefits down the line and get a little bit deeper into them. But a couple questions to wrap up some basics of creatine. So you mentioned meat is the most common source, but a little. I, I'm curious as to a little specificity. Are there certain types of meat that contain higher levels? And is there anything outside of meat, I guess, even to potentially thinking of like dairy or something like that, that contains creatine? He's asking about his ribeyes. I love ribeyes. I mean, I'm <laughs> not ashamed to admit it. I'm a ribeye guy. Although I'm going to switch a little bit more to New York's for a period of time. Mm. You know? mm. But it, right. so any... <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, specifics there that you can shed some light on? I can't send a ton. I, I can't shed a ton of light on specifics there. Um, I will say that uh, about a pound of meat or fish has in the range of one to two grams of creatine in it. Mm. So um, I'm not sure which has more, but you can basically think about it this way: Where is creatine stored in our bodies? Mm, yeah, 95% of it is stored intramuscularly. So if you're looking to get it from another animal, you got to eat their muscles, eat their which muscles. is what meat is. Um, the other 5% is stored in brain or in testes. So I'll leave that up to you. What you want to Rocky Mountain oysters. We were just talking about <laughs> we Rocky Mountain talking oysters about yesterday. <laughs> we can get some of those. Get Rocky I'm Mountain sure I can oysters. Get my- yeah, I'm sure I can get my hands on some bull testicles. That sounded weird, but if you know <laughs> that I have, I know some people at a farm, so that's why that's why I said that. Okay, I don't go I around. A, I got a visual while you were you go. good. I'm glad. Head. I hope all the listeners get a visual. I'm too, just thinking just, of a pickled jar of Rocky Mountain oysters. Just pickled. It'd be a tip. large pickle jar. I'm sure. Oh yeah, um, one one for each. Yeah. So, but like the question I have. I mean, I've heard uh, that, I don't know why I did that for that, but um, I did bunny ears, folks. Uh, That's for the I've, gram. I've That's heard uh, that like chicken and poultry is relatively lower in creatine. Is that kind of a myth? Or I guess maybe you're, you're not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I would, I mean, I'm totally speculating here. So yeah. this could be a hundred percent made up. 
<laughs> but okay, right? We do that similar all the time. Yeah. <laughs> similar to us, vegans and vegetarians are lower in creatine. So mm. chickens are herbivores and therefore are not getting creatine yeah. through their diet. So there could be a, a difference there, but that's your ribeye steak as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, as I said, not a hundred percent sure, but if you get your if you could get your hands on a carnivore steak, you'd, you'd be in a good place, I think. But- yeah, unless you can find some carnivorous chickens. I feel like those would be ravenous, though. They'd be yoked. <laughs> Big old rooster oh, stomping man. towards you with the. Yeah, I mean, this, this may be more applicable with fish, right? If you could, if you could find a, you know, oh, fish yeah. higher up yeah. on the food yeah. chain that ate other fish, they might be higher. But once again, I'm purely speculating here. Yeah, I, have, I really have no idea. Um, interesting, interesting food for thought, though. No pun intended, <laughs> or maybe a little pun intended. All, all intention purposes, right there. Um, so then, last question on the basics: Do you feel that the average person, and you kind of alluded to most people probably sitting between sixty and eighty percent, so you feel the average person generally gets enough creatine through whole fo- whole food sources? I guess that would be dependent on what they're trying to do, correct? Um, it's funny because the so I personally when we're gonna get into this, but started supplementing with creatine maybe like two or three months ago. And in doing that, of course, read up a lot about it. And I found a lot of scientists that study creatine pretty much think that everybody should supplement with creatine throughout their lifespan. Um wow. so I, I'm not familiar with how much meat you'd have to consume. I mean, if we say, you know, if, if a pound of uncooked cooked meat contains one to two grams, right. And typical supplementation in maintenance phase, which we'll get to in a minute is like three to five grams, then, right. You'd be looking at consuming two plus pounds of uncooked meat daily um, to get close to what you would get through supplementation, which might be hard for some people to, to get in. And, you know, there are other implications potentially for consuming that everybody consuming that much meat on a daily basis. Um, so supplementation makes sense in a lot of spaces. And I think, um, if consuming meat fits with your, uh, you know, desired diet, whether it's guided by moral principles or, or um, just what you are able to eat um, or what's available to you, um, then some supplementation can be helpful. And if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, um, considering more regular, greater levels of supplementation can be extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, challenge accepted on the two pounds of meat in a day. <laughs> I was gonna say that's probably uh, no, not a huge issue for you. Yeah. Well, let's not let's not tell people too much about my diet because I feel like we'll get some hate mail. No, I'm just kidding. Then... It's <laughs> uh, so you said raw meat. So follow up question to that: Does cooking reduce the amount of creatine in a given chunk of meat? God, you're really testing me here. I don't know the answer. I to am. That. I love this. this <laughs> you're gonna great. have to Google it. I'm a machine here. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Because cooking can also denature proteins, correct? Uh, cooking, yeah, denatures proteins, like breaks them down, which you kind of need to do for digestion, like, anyways. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But creatine is 
not necessarily a protein, so it may not necessarily Cre- impact. Cre- protein. Creatine is not a protein. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So TBD on that one. Maybe we'll hit up the Google machine afterwards and let you all know. But yeah, very fascinating. So, all right. So now kind of moving into creatine as a supplement. So kind of some background based on what you know. Like first, first uh, simple question, how long has it been around as a supplement? Jesus, Thomas. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I deal with every day. I don't know how long it's been around as a supplement. (laughs) I mean, can we guess like, do do we have a ballpark? (laughs) I have no idea. 80s? The golden age of the bodybuilding era? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sixties, we go in sixties. I'd go sixties. I mean, maybe the 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 uh, Russian I'm Olympic as we speak. Okay, um, we'll come back to that oh. one. <laughs> uh, in your experience, what disciplines ha- do you most often see it used? And I guess disciplines you can also think of as sports. Like, do you see it commonly used in certain sports, and do you not see it used in other sports? potentially for misguided reasons? That's a great question that I can answer. Thanks. Um, (laughs) That one. (laughs) So I'd say commonly, I mean, like, right in its glory days, whenever they are, they were. We don't know. We're like, (laughs) we're in the the, uh, bodybuilding days, right? Um, And that's where creatine got its notoriety. Uh, Bodybuilders were taking it. and I think a lot of people also misunderstood how creatine's used, right? If you mm-hmm. take creatine, it might help you preserve muscle mass if you're not exercising. But a lot of the benefits that we associate with creatine, big muscles, um, gains in strength, happen when you get this concomitant use of creatine and resistance exercise. And that's, you know, in those days, that's really who was using it. So bodybuilders. Um I would say that it's also helpful in sprint related activities. So could might not be your what as we were talking about before, your one rep max or your max reps at a certain weight, but uh could be cycling sprints or running sprints, anything where you know you need power on demand quickly, where you're engaging muscles um and and you're doing powerful work in a short span of time. I'd say because of those perceived benefits or not even perceived they're real but because of those being the only perceived benefits you see less of the endurance community using creatine um also and we can talk about the water gain in a while in in a minute but like one of the side effects of creatine is that there's this momentary um increase in weight because of uh because when creatine is stored, it's stored with water. So you see an increase in body weight because of increased water mass or water storage. Um, mm-hmm. And because in endurance exercise, weight can all, uh, can be a factor in terms of performance, increased weight due to water weight is, is not necessarily looked well upon, although that's arguable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think because of the lack of you know, power being like a deciding factor. And because of that weight gain, endurance athletes have shied away from it. But more and more research is coming out showing that that buffering 
capacity that we talked about earlier. So the impact of creatine on acidity levels in the muscle can have an impact on things like endurance and can have an impact on things like work capacity, even when we're not in these, you know, more power focused, strength focused sports. Um, So, you know, there's the cognitive benefit, which whether you're an athlete or not could be helpful. But then I think there's also benefits that um, ring true in the endurance world that aren't just associated with strength gain. Uh, Side question. Is this is this supplement is creatine approved and allowed by the NCAA and the Olympics? It know? is, yes. Okay. Yeah. But they can't have coffee, right? Isn't that a thing? There's like <laughs> no. too much caffeine in their system. Oh my yeah, God. I mean they can have coffee just to there's uh I know this because gnarly is NSF certified, right? So our all of our products get tested mm. for uh to be compliant with World Anti Doping Agency regulations and and substances. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so there's a limit to the amount of caffeine that you can take at a a singular time. So in a dose of a product, um, but yeah, creatine, caffeine in general below that level is fine. And creatine is totally fine. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, But also very, this is very good to know that like, if you're getting stuff from gnarly, you're going to get stuff that, you know, has passed through rigorous testing versus good shit. Good shit in comparison to what you get. It's not like Jack three D. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh no, man. no meth in there. No low uh, dose no methamphetamines. We took all the meth out last year. No. Just... <laughs> uh, that stuff just gets I could you. tell a difference. No. <laughs> um, okay, so that's cool. That so that's kind of like a, a little background based on the research and and stuff. Now I'd kind of like to dive into what has your experience been with applying it to yourself has what you found in the research correlated to what you've experienced with yourself physically and also with other clients that you've applied it to? Sure. Yeah. So I got interested in it because I saw a research article come out speaking, you know, specifically about the benefit for old ladies like me or for aging athletes. Uh, right? Come on. Uh, you're not- <laughs> um, 25 year old. And you're still throwing people around though. Um, So, you know, as we age and whether you're male or female, you know, hormones change, hormone levels change. It's harder to maintain muscle because of those hormone uh, changes, let alone put on new muscle. And that has implications, not just for us as athletes, but also uh, for bone density for health for how we're able to move around um, and just function, you know, as, as we get older. And so um, I was really kind of interested in this article that specifically pointed that out. Um, Because I think for such a long time, we talked about that association with the bodybuilding world that, you know, looking at it from the perspective of an aging athlete and an aging female athlete and the benefit could have felt kind of like a code switch for me. And so I was curious about it. I was also curious about the water weight gain, because I think that's a big concern that athletes have, not just in endurance sports, but across the spectrum, whether you're um, just aging and you're concerned about putting weight on, whether you're in a sport like jujitsu, where you have to compete in a weight class and, Mm -hmm. and adding weight could, you know, affect where you fall in that class. Maybe you're in a power sport, like climbing that where power to weight ratio comes into impact. Weight can 
you know, be considered negative in a lot of different places. So I was curious about that, about how much water, uh, how much weight I would put on. Um, I'd also read some that that water weight actually helps with hydration status. So I was curious about that. You know, it was my own guinea pig. I started just a maintenance phase of creatine and we can, I can jump into kind of the, as, as a side note on what, of what that oh, is. Yeah. versus loading. We'll, we'll talk. Uh, well, we have a question on loading. Okay. So I didn't do a loading phase, which we'll talk about in a minute. The maintenance, yeah. the maintenance phase of creatine is just five grams of creatine a day. Um, and so I started adding that in knowing it would take about three to four weeks to see any results. And during that time, uh, we had started kind of phasing into back squat progression in the gym. So um, doing a bunch of complementary, you know, work to work towards a max in back squat, but also once a week doing a very specific back squat uh, workout um, as we you know move towards this progression. And I had a goal in mind based on previous you know, max efforts that I'd had. Um, and that goal was, was my, my previous max, I think was like 200 and I was hoping to get, well, thanks. (laughs) Um, and I was hoping to get to 210 at, you know, weigh 130 pounds. So for me, that felt like a pretty good goal. And after four, actually it was five weeks of creatine supplementation along with that back squat progression in the gym. I hit 225. I was super stoked. Um, It's a significant increase. Yeah, it's a significant increase. So 25 pounds over my previous max, which felt really big for me. um, And I was really excited about. As far as water gain, I, I saw a little weight gain. It was like, maybe two to three pounds, but nothing substantial. Um, and about that time I was getting ready for a jujitsu tournament. And so I was concerned about where that would put me. And so I actually stopped taking the creatine uh, for a little bit in prep for that tournament. Subsequently I've, I've gone back on it. Um, but what I've read in, in the meantime is that, that, weight gain seems to just be short term and that you see this equilibration over long-term supplementation of creatine and in studies you know where they've looked at placebo athletes given a placebo and athletes given creatine after 10 weeks they see no difference in weight between the two groups and so i think this idea that we always see this association of water weight gain with creatine is actually not true. Um, and that if we can just stick toward towards that longer term uh, supplementation, it doesn't become a concern. So I'm back on it now and I'm about four weeks in and I'm, I plan on supplementing for, for quite some time and seeing if, if I end up seeing that come down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You were talking about it earlier. You said momentary water weight gain. Yeah. And that was an interesting little teaser. Uh, so that's very fascinating because that is something even in recent weeks we've been talking to people in the gym about preparing for this episode and that's something that some people have said yeah i took it in the past but like you know i'm trying to get like more shredded now so i don't want the water weight and all that stuff so basically will someone see and i guess tbd with your uh because you're four weeks in but will someone Mm -hmm. see an increase in weight 
and then a weight reduction or does it just essentially stabilize and the body composition maybe becomes less watery? Well, so in the specific, I'm trying to see if I can find my notes, the specific study I'm, I'm thinking of, they actually saw no significant difference in body weight or percent fat. Okay. What they saw a significant difference in was fat-free mass or lean lean mass, so muscle mass. Ah. In favor um, of the creatine group. In favor of the creatine group. Yeah. So um, total body weight did not change. So you don't just see a general increase. Um, yeah. What I think is somehow that hyperhydration, because the reason why you have it is because creatine, similar to carbohydrates that are stored as glycogen yep. are stored with yep. water, same thing with creatine. Um, so there must be some kind of equilibration that occurs in the body over time that mm. reduces that. I don't know exactly how that happens yeah. and I haven't seen it explained mechanistically. Um, there's a really good review paper that just came out this year that is basically like the myths of creatine addressed. And one Ooh. of one of those myths, um, I think Brad Schoenfield, I don't know if you're familiar with his research. He does a lot of um, stuff on on uh, weight training specifically and, and different mm -hmm. supplements associated with weight training. I think he's one of the authors. But one of the um, myths that they address specifically is this water weight gain. And it's not just the study I'm thinking of. There are a number of long-term studies that show yeah. no difference in total body weight between placebo and creatine supplemented groups. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see over the long term if, uh, if I return back to my, because my body weight is pretty like normal, stable, consistent most of the time. Some fluctuations, you know, just being a female over the course of a month, but um, very predictable in my 43 years. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm curious to see if I drop back down um, to that. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you touched on the carbs holding water as well. Cause folks, that's why when you go low carb, you lose weight. Yeah. 100%. Your body gets rid of water yep. and then, you know, you, you, you did not lose fat. I just want to put that in there. <laughs> not well, in one week. Unless, unless you're in a caloric <laughs> deficit, but exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the, only <laughs> that's thing the that bottom line. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to piggyback off of the statement that you said you, uh, loaded with the creatine a little bit and then was worried about the weight so you took it away um during that time period what were some of the things that you noticed maybe performance wise or anything like that once you took yeah. the creatine away from yourself yeah so just to really quickly clarify i didn't load i'm just i know you just used that word but i'm um sorry correcting <laughs> it so we don't get it confused with loading phase nomenclature kala fair enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I was on creatine for a bit and then I came off of it. And when I came off of it, I was preparing for a jujitsu tournament. And so I was doing less kind of heavy lifting and more uh, kind of power dynamic kind of mixed with some cardio type lifting, power endurance stuff. Um, and I felt it less in the gym because I wasn't really using, I wasn't using uh measurable workouts, if that makes sense, or what I didn't have anything mm -hmm. to compare it to, um, what I felt was in jujitsu. Um, so oh. most of the guys that I train with 
are kind of in their mid twenties to mid mid thirties um, and have a lot more energy than I do. Um, you know, I do train with some women, but are at our gym in kind of our where I am in my jujitsu path. You know, which is kind of being a higher belt. It's it's mostly men that I end up rolling with, and I definitely felt a decrease in my ability to kind of respond uh, quickly and powerfully um, when rolling. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see, I hurt my knee a few weeks ago, so I haven't been training jujitsu as intensely as I normally do, but um, I'm curious to see now that I'm back on it, if that comes back. I'm hopeful. <laughs> Very hopeful yeah. that it will. Need that power to we'll choke out. We'll be along on some, this, this exploration. Yeah, to, need, to need hear more it. power to choke out those white belts, right? <laughs> um, Okay, so uh, we have some questions, some common creatine questions, CCQs, as you as you may call them. Um, Is that made on the them, spot right there? I just made that up. <laughs> That's... Uh, I'm pretty creative and innovative. Some of these you kind of answered, um, but you can you can just touch on them. They don't have to be super elaborate, especially if you kind of already talked a little bit about them. Um, but they're common things that we hear as people think about supplementing with creatine. So first one that we have, should you do a loading phase? I know you did not, but is there a reason why someone would maybe want to, or does it just like not even need to be a thing? Um, the only reason why you would want to do a loading phase is if you're looking to see results quickly. So essentially by loading, you're taking in more creatine over the short term, and then you end up going on the maintenance phase. So a typical loading phase is uh, 20 grams per day or 0.3 grams of creatine per kilo of body weight. And most people do that for anywhere from like four to seven days. And then they drop down to the maintenance phase of creatine, which is that three to five grams that I just started at. And so with that loading phase, you're taking in four times the amount of creatine that you would take in if you just start on the on the maintenance phase. So you see results almost four times more quickly. So at the end of that loading phase, you're close to being saturated. Um, and so you might see results within a week. Whereas if you just do the maintenance phase from the get-go, you won't start seeing or feeling results until three to four weeks. So I think it just depends on your timeline and on your desire to, you know. Get yoked. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say consume powder on a regular basis. Um, but yes, get yoked as well. <laughs> if you got a bachelor party next weekend. Totally, totally. Better load up. <laughs> Are you speaking uh, from experience? Is this... I know a guy that's doing a shred this week. For, for his bachelor party this weekend <laughs> good times so yeah that's so that's a lot so what if somebody was like because we often think this more is better why don't i just just enter into a, a perpetual loading period and do 20 grams indefinitely will they just i guess wasting maybe there's maybe there's no it's just wasting right you're full you're full like you put more gas in the gas tank and it just empties out right it's the same kind of thing it's gonna come out of every orifice every orifice that's quite a visual (laughs) uh but there's not it won't necessarily be anything negative that happens it's just not going to do anything more i mean 
There, so for a long time, people were concerned that creatine supplementation, even at low levels, could have some kind of impact on your kidneys. Um, that is also a myth. Um, there's studies showing that you know high dose, long term supplementation, and we're talking up to five years in long term. And I want to say, um, when I'm saying high dose, it's like 20 grams. Um, showing it's completely fine. Um, mm. So in terms of negative consequences, unless you have some kind of underlying renal disease, yeah, no negative consequences um, that have been documented. Um, but in terms of a benefit or it really, Not really being, you know, helpful, no, that yeah. there's no reason to take that much for that long. Yes. And renal means kidney. If for for yeah. you non anatomical listeners, no, that wasn't very sciencey. I'm sure a lot of people would know what Not, renal disease is. I was going to say, but that was a free. <laughs> we didn't even have that on the list of questions. The impact on kidney function. So that was a free myth busted for all y'all out there. Well, I had to make um, up for all the ones I didn't know. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we caught you off guard. We tend to do that. Um, okay, and is there? I just found my note. It's 30 grams per day for up to five years have shown no clinically oh. significant side effects. So that's six scoops, six scoops. That'd be like, at that point, yeah. you're brushing your teeth with creatine, Ugh. you know, doing everything with creatine. That's a lot of powder. So you kind of mentioned the, so you would say for people that are vegan and vegetarian, and especially if they're active, you would probably most often recommend that those people uh, supplement with creatine. I would. Yeah. Um, aging athletes as well. Three to, f I would just say, I think for a lot of people, the idea of having to take something four times a day. So usually you take creatine in a five gram dose since you're getting that dose four times a day, if you're doing a loading phase and for a lot of people that can be overwhelming. Um, mm -hmm. whereas a five gram dose is really manageable, hardly taste it, can mix it in with other things. And so, yeah, I would recommend three to five grams per day. And, um, the more I read about it and the more benefits I read, I'm, I'm kind of on the, on the page of, you know, most people should consider it. It, it, it seems like it can help with a lot of things. Uh, question that I had someone, well, someone claimed that this happened when they started taking creatine. I think they were in high school when they did it. Uh, they said that it made them slower thoughts on that, like running slower yeah i that's hard to i mean everything that i've read sprint performance you know increases just similarly in that 10 to 20 percent range as you know you see with any kind of power lifts um mm -hmm. i don't know if they were more of an endurance running runner and they were kind of in a phase where they experienced some water weight gain and maybe that's why they felt slower to start with I believe but, he was a soccer player yeah oh well, or football, sense, as huh? they call it. I mean, there there are studies specifically in soccer play, players showing uh, an improvement in in sprint performance. So, interesting. Um, not sure. Like you know, people right. respond differently. There are non-responders. Um, everybody's different. That's kind of the bottom line in nutrition. So, who knows? I'm gonna tell him he's wrong the next time he comes in. <laughs> say myth busted in your face. Could be attributed to other things. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like maybe he was eating, uh, too many cookies from the cafeteria 
you know, because they used to serve cookies back in my cafeteria. Oh, no, not in ours. Cookies, cookies make me faster. So, I mean, to each his or her. Oh, really? <laughs> That's surprising. Uh, and then, okay, so last uh, last question, I think. So in terms of people wanting to supplement with creatine, how do they know or what are some things they can look for to, to determine a, a reputable brand? Sure. First, let's start with also the creatine type. So there are a lot of types out there right now that, uh, you know, you see different creatine salts um, that claim that they're uh, better absorbed or more effective. All of the research I've seen has been done with creatine monohydrate. And the studies I've seen that have compared different types of creatine salts always point to creatine monohydrate being the most effective. So um bottom line is you should look for creatine monohydrate. Um, looking for, I mean, there, there's, we're coming out with a standalone creatine and gnarly, not timed with this podcast at all, but I'm very Ooh. appreciative of speaking on this podcast. Um, Absolutely. Go for it. I've been waiting a, for gnarly to get a creatine. Yeah. I mean, we've always had creatine in a product called pump, but it, it yeah. pump was this weird product that people didn't, some uses pre-workout, some didn't know when to take, and it just didn't, work out well with how our product line is designed. And so we discontinued that and in favor of just introducing kind of standalone um, unflavored creatine. And we uh, sourced this German creatine called CreaPure. Um, it's the highest quality creatine you can get just in terms of purity. A lot of research has been done with this um, specific branded ingredient. And so, you know, th that's one of the reasons why we chose to include that in Gnarly. But I would generally say if you choose a generic creatine monohydrate, that's great as well. Um, supplement wise, you know, whether we're talking about creatine or any other supplement looking for a product that's NSF certified or third party tested by USP, which is US Pharmacopeia or another uh, group is informed choice, but, but some kind of third body entity that goes in and tests the product for label claims, tests for contaminants like microbes heavy metals and pesticides. And then also in our case with the NSF for sports certification test for those WADA banned substances, um, that's what you should be looking for no matter what supplement, um, whether it's creatine or not. Um, there was one other thing you didn't ask me about that I, I want to throw Ooh. in. Ooh. Throw it. Free knowledge, which, folks. Which is a question I get a lot and is also a way to make up for those answers I didn't have. Um, Perfect. <laughs> so we'll we'll just edit. we got to wait and see what it is yet before we, let you off the hook for missing we can earlier. edit them out so it's okay. <laughs> okay. thomas won't edit those out he wants to no. leave those in <laughs> this episode's this episode's going raw <laughs> yeah. we're going raw with this one yeah this so, is members uh, only members <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so i get a lot of questions about creatine in kids in adolescence Ooh, um yeah. Uh -huh. yeah and so that kind of safety track record that creatine has for adults is also true for adolescents and youth. And the International Society of Sports Nutrition has actually signed off on if your kids are in high performing, like serious athletics, then creatine supplementation is absolutely something they should consider. It's been tested in infants and toddlers um, oh and God. adolescents and young adults. 
So, um, yeah, I know <laughs> your kid's going to be. Yoked. So you're telling me I can give it to my 10 month old. Baby Holger. Are they in a, a, a serious sports program? I mean, I train him every day. We wake up at 6 a.m. and I make him do burp. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's going to start lifting the crib out. I know. He's a, moving all over the place. Oh yeah. My God. But I think, you know, for, for younger athletes that are pretty serious about what they're doing, you know, it, there's also research that creatine can help with recovery. And I mean, there, there could be benefit. At, and I didn't even mention this before, but there's also research showing that in creatine versus controlled groups, you see a lower uh, um, rate of injury in athletes that supplement with creatine. Um, so there are benefits above and beyond just that power generation for athletes. Um, and so it's something to consider. Um, and, and I think bottom line is biggest question I get is, is it safe? And so, yes, it is safe. Um, there, there's even research looking at, um, the potential for, for giving creatine to pregnant women, because you see a huge reduction in creatine kinase activity, um, during pregnancy. And there's a chance that it could help with low birth weight, um, and other pregnancy complications. So, um, as I said, it's, it's like an ever evolving field They're they're finding all of these benefits and it has a pretty amazing safety track record. Yeah. Wow. That was fascinating. And that is a good uh, thing to bring up because I would say the first time I heard of creatine was in high school. Right. And, uh, you know, people doing it in the weight room. Nope. And no, not in Canada. College. College. I, oh, I guess they shelter people in Canada. Um, I also was told that I shouldn't work out when I'm 16. I should not go to the gym. I've, there was a lot of things. That's more maybe a family <laughs> thing, but we'll have an episode on Kala's upbringing. Oh no. Um, <laughs> It'll be a fun one. Uh, but yeah, so like there was, I definitely, I had actually heard when I was in high school, there were some kids that got injuries, like pretty bad ones. And I mean, they were contact related. So like a helmet going into a guy's leg. But like some people said, oh, they were taking creatine and that weakened their bones, uh, which is obviously very not true. Yeah, I mean, it's bone strength. I mean, be the opposite. Bones, yeah, like bone strength is... is <laughs> largely determined by you know the muscle that we have around that bone yeah. that provides that kind of mechanical feedback that then causes bones to get stronger and so as you said thomas very much the opposite you know that's why and that was we, back in 2006 so yeah, yeah. i'm giving away my age uh and you know so you're not alone in that shannon <laughs> yeah i mean it it's that's why i stay hidden on this one <laughs> muscle maintenance as we age that's why it's one of the reasons why it's so important to help yeah yeah help with osteoarthritis to help with bone issues yeah it's for sure that makes no sense for sure cool well this was an excellent episode uh and i think that i think that wraps it up so as we said folks we could dive deep on this subject absolutely um but we hope that you all got your questions answered and if you didn't uh well then there's google there's google you can also email me you can, you can also email to okay what's your doctor you drop your email yeah it's shannon at gonarly.com so s-h-a-n-n-o-n at gonarly g-o-n i just spelled it wrong g-o-g-n-a-r-l-y.com um yeah there's a uh, g in front of gnarly that there's yeah, yeah exactly gnarly gnarly. That you have to remember 
or just yeah. pass your questions on to Thomas and Thomas, you can send them to me, but I'm always, yeah. I'm yeah. always psyched to, I mean, it's my favorite thing to do. I always love to, to chat nutrition with active individuals. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we, we love it and we're very appreciative of your time. So would you like to hit our tagline and take us out of this, Dr. Shannon? Of course I would. Avoid the bullshit, people. Oh, uh, she said it with some gusto. Ooh, that's the best one yet. That is the I best think. one yet. I love it. All right. Thank you again for listening to the P13 podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. This podcast was produced by Project 13 Gyms and a special thanks to Studio Pod Media for providing the studio space and additional production. Absolutely. You can find us on social media on Instagram at Project 13 Gyms. You can find myself at Kemifan. That is K-E-M-I-F-A-N. How about you, Thomas? Where can they find you on your social media? You can find me at Conway Bunga. That's C-O-N-W-A-Y. B-U-N-G-A. You can also check us out at project13gyms.com. And if you're in the SF area, come train with us at Project 13 Gyms in Lower Knob Hill.